Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. And The Breakfast Show begins. That's right. Yes. It, it has. And we're here. Awake. I already know what you're thankful. I don't even want to hear what you're thankful for this morning. Just Fine, I won't tell it. you. Good. Excellent. But I'll, I'll tell the listeners. No, uh, so no, what I'm thankful for this morning. Yes, no. they do. It's just the same thing every no. day. <laughs> no, no, we've had updates. We've had developments. Developments. That's there right. That's right. And, I, and I, I, I promise I'll stop talking about it eventually. <laughs> 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 no, but check it out. I got a call yesterday. I got a call. From Service New South Wales. Oh, no. And I missed the call, so it was it ended up in my message bank. And I checked my message bank and they're like, Hi Lawson, we're from Service New South Wales and we wanted to let you know that you can now rebook your rider knowledge test to get your motorbike license. Yes, and you're gonna call this number back, right? Of course, yeah. It was like and there's late. gonna be someone with a slightly foreign accent on the other end. No, Service New be, South Wales. It literally it was a mobile phone you that, number. You know, due to COVID, the only way that you can actually pay for this is with Gift cards. <laughs> no, it was a real person. Wow. How would the scammers know that? <laughs> scammers don't know me. Yes, they do. They follow your social media. <laughs> I didn't say anything on social media. Well, I probably did. <laughs> well, hey, if they listen to the show, because I talk about it on this show, if they listen to the show, good for them. They're probably like giving up the life of scamming, being convicted. Jesus is coming soon. Absolutely. But hey, Absolutely. what are you grateful for this morning? Neighbors. You were grateful for that great, yesterday. Great, yeah, but this is a different time. So yesterday, <laughs> I, 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 I talked to one neighbor. Today, I talked to, like, like yesterday, well, the day before I talked to one neighbor. Yesterday, I talked to a different neighbor. Wow. Big old gossip. It's great. Gossip. Talk, yep. Just, and we, we had, we had, we had the whole country <laughs> oh, sorted it's, out. It's going down, dude. Yep, we had oh. the whole country just sorted You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Fantastic. All right. What's happening in the world of positively different news, Lawson? Dude, I just want to shout out our uh, drive time shows. You know, we've got a couple running uh, from up here in North New South Wales in our area. We've got Looking Up, which was yesterday, and then we've got Robbie's show today. Dude, they're doing really well. Come on at three o'clock, three to five. Yep. Each day. 3.30 3, 3.30 to 5.30 each day. Come yeah, on, get, you, get your head in the game. Yeah, but you, if you tune in at 3 o'clock, then you'll be ready. <laughs> That's right. If you tune in at 2 o'clock, you'll be ready. Just just, just tune in now and just stay there. <laughs> That's right. But, hey, they're, they're seeing, like, really, like, record numbers of interactions and really good stuff. So shout out to you guys who are just doing an awesome job at listening to the shows, the programs here on Faith FM. Also, a massive shout-out to one of our listeners, Christopher Rantle, who we interviewed some weeks ago. Mm. He was the man who had the uh, parachute double parachute failure. And the good news is that he is up and walking. Uh, Amazing. I think 20 metres without mm. crutches. Wow. That's a pretty significant... Yeah, in, a, in rehab terms, yeah, that's massive. Huge, huge. So he's going to, uh, you know, God willing, we keep praying for him, but uh, once you can reach yeah. that particular point, you can keep going from there. He's He's on the road to recovery, essentially. Which is good really, news. really good fantastic. News. Let's have a look at some uh, good news happening right across the world. So the first good news story I have here um, is that the International Rhino Foundation have released some numbers and statistics on how rhinos are essentially going. Okay. <laughs> and that they're doing 
extremely well. So they're not going. They're not leaving. But yeah, yes, <laughs> they're, they're going, but they're not leaving, uh, which is really they're good. going well, not going away. So since like the tail of the 20th century, you have specific species of rhinos that dwindled down to numbers within like the 100s, um, specifically the one horn rhino, which is native to India, Nepal, like literally, yeah, towards the back half of the 20th century was like in in the in the numbers like between 90 and 100 of them left. At the moment, their numbers are up at 3,700 of them, so just a dramatic increase, uh, and with that as well, poaching has fallen dramatically, particularly in recent years. With only, uh, with so in 2013 they had 41 incidents of poaching, and in 2021 they've only had one. So that is just uh, like a single poaching incident. So they're seeing massive drop off there. I've heard a few interviews and seen different, um, you know, different reports being done on how they actually police poaching and whatnot, which is pretty, pretty intense and pretty hectic. How they like, get, you know, get out there with, you know, you've got an anti-poaching defense force that, you know, in some countries that are just like a militarized force oh, yeah, that they're, like they're, fight they're, poachers. Well, you've kind of got to go out there pretty heavily armed when you are going against people who are poaching because they are by nature heavily they're armed. Heavily armed. They're trying to shoot. Um, they're trying. They're trying to shoot down rhinos. So, uh, it's, yeah, really great stuff. But they're also seeing massive increases in rhinos in Indonesia, um, in Africa as well. You know, nothing as dramatic as what we what we've seen in India and Nepal. But um, we're seeing, you know. You know, forty percent increases in numbers, fifty percent increases in numbers, um, and it, basically the rhino population of the world is steadily rising. In fact, there isn't a single location where they um, the numbers of rhinos are dropping. So, from a conservation point of view, have they been able to convince the world that rhino horn is not an aphrodisiac? I don't know what that means, but it sounds like someone is missing the point. <laughs> or, or is, is silly. That's exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> and may, maybe they have, I guess. What is it? It's like. Well, this is what was creating the big market for killing rhinos was they mm, cut the horns yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Grind it up to powder and sell it for. But what's an aphrodisiac? It's, uh, um, yeah, it's for medicinal purposes. Just let's oh, leave it oh that. okay, okay. So, no, rhino horns don't get you high, <laughs> essentially. Well, anyways, um, but yeah, they're, do- they're doing really, really well. Talking about other areas of conservation, our bald-headed overlord of e-commerce, Jeff Bezos, has pledged another billion dollars to conservation right around the world. Um, this is in after a string of pledges of big amounts of money. Previously, $10 billion. He's pledged another billion dollars um, going to places like the Congo, the Tropical Andes Mountains, and across Oceania, so affecting us as well, uh, which is interesting. You know, for us in Australia, I don't think Jeff Bezos is as a big of a presence as he is in other parts of the world, but like specifically and particularly the US. I don't know, I've bought like one thing off Amazon, but most, 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 almost everything on Amazon, like you can't get in Australia. Yes, it's like this. So frustrating. Australian Amazon is so lame. So lame, dude. Like there's like this tiniest little selection or you'll be on US Amazon. You're like, oh wow, that looks really cool. And it's really cheap. I'll buy it. And then it's like, doesn't ship to Australia. And then you cry. Um, and then you move on. And then you see that Jeff Bezos, inch, very interesting guy. You, you don't know, actually the- cry. You just ship it to your um, in-laws. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> they ship it on to Australia. <laughs> well, uh, yes. that, that's your solution. <laughs> it's not mine. Um, I am not married. <laughs> but yeah, he's pumping like big money into things like WWF and you know a bunch of land conservation. Um, projects and whatnot which is which is really great you have to like imagine what would happen if somebody like this gave their life to jesus christ imagine the good that they could do yeah you know they're doing they're doing so many so much good and positive things for the planet but imagine if they could do some good and positive things for the gospel wouldn't that be wild and we see that like consistently like big movements of the gospel happen happening in particular countries where you know someone super rich will be reached and absolutely well, you, you've got it happening in brazil where you've got yeah. um uh what's his name uh Escapes me right now, but uh, um, insurance mogul giant that you know was converted, giving his heart to God, and has just poured massive amounts of money into Christian media and sharing the gospel, mm. and just dedicated his whole life to getting the message out there. And it's and it's worked. It's had its effect. It's been amazing. Yeah, that's right. So. You know, I don't know. I don't know about it. Jeff Bezos. Almost seems like just a figment of my imagination. Like he's just such a almost mythical figure. Like in the fact that he's like the richest man in the world, and you just never see him outside of press releases and conferences. Like he doesn't seem like a real person sometimes. And so, but I'd love to see that take place. I don't know how how we could reach him. We need to pray for this. We guy. need to get him on the we need show. To pray for the wealthy guys in our world. Do we should send him an email. We'll send the Bezos Foundation an email. Be like, hey, can we get you on the show to talk to you about God, and we'll see what response we get. Hopefully, a good one. Indeed, that, that would Indeed. be. A, it's a long shot, but <laughs> you do it, Lawson. Go for it. Yeah, I'll get it. You've, you've done some long shots before and pulled them and off. And hey, so. I'm 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 pulling off long shots. So good stuff. Hey, last story here. So Kuwait, right? What do you, what do you know about Kuwait, Lyle? Uh, it's a small country in the Middle East that was invaded by Iraq and kind of got burnt to a cinder when they lit all of the oil wheels on fire back in the early 1990s. Uh-huh. And it's an oil-rich country. Don't know much more. Yeah, so basically Kuwait, although they're classified as a developing country, they're like one of the richest countries per capita, like in the top ten. So how, do that, how does that classify as developing because, because they haven't reached the top of their wealth. No, it's, I think it's because they're just it's just desert. Like there's yes. so few people who who live there, and it's then, just oil and desert, that's oil it. and sand. That's, that's right. It. That's it. But they're they're like in the process of doing a full on Dubai. They're like, no, we're going to build some massive infrastructure and, and track people. Show what, they're going to show what happens when you throw unlimited money at sand. And and this, well, they're not throwing it just at sand. They're throwing it at a tire mountain that has 42 million tires on it um, that is called the Kuwait Tire Graveyard. It's just this massive mountain of tires. And they're like, we're going to replace this with this massive uh, resort. You know, like... Oh, but where are they going to put all the tyres when they move them? They're just going to recycle them. They're building a plant to recycle tyres. Oh, cool. And then they've just, like, they're going to spend massive, unlimited resources of oil money onto making their own Dubai and Kuwait. So I, I think maybe in the next 10 years, Kuwait could be, you know... It, it just fascinates me what humans will do with really, like, strange places like <laughs> Singapore... That's what you get when you throw unlimited money at a swamp. <laughs> Dubai, throw unlimited money at, at sand. sand. And Kuwait, throw unlimited money at a pile of time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
If you visit Oxford Oxford University today, I should say, just outside of Balliol College, which is one of the many colleges that makes up Oxford University, on the street there, on the pavement, you're going to find a small cross. It is maybe about 600 millimetres square, a square cross. It marks the spot where the Oxford martyrs were burnt to death. Oh, The Oxford martyrs were Hugh Latimer, uh, Nicholas Ridley and Thomas Cranmer. So these were bishops, archbishops uh, in the Anglican Church at this particular time, and they were Protestant reformers who were standing for the Bible alone, they were standing mm. for salvation by grace alone, and they were standing for Protestantism. They were burned at the stake for their faith and for their unwavering confidence in God. In fact, when Hugh Latimer was about to be burned, he turned to Nicholas Ridley and stated these words. These were his last words. He said, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Wow. Such brave words. Well, mm. it seems that uh, Oxford University has not given up on burning martyrs at the stake. Well, maybe not quite. We're not quite there yet. But they have just issued an official apology for hosting a Christian conference. Uh, what? Yes, indeed. They have just issued an official apology for hosting a Christian conference. Okay, well, what was the conference? Okay, so this was uh, what's called the Wilberforce Conference. It's something that ha- happens every year, has happened every year for a very, very long time. Um, it's a one-week intensive. It happens during summer. Uh, and the idea behind this particular uh one week intensive is that it is a crash course on the Christian worldview. Okay. Essentially. Okay. Um, it is so that students can be better informed and better equipped to stand up for the gospel uh, in contemporary culture. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like a really, really good thing. Dude, that's I, like, I, I, yeah. You know, I, think, I think this is awesome. I think every university should have this. You know, somebody should run one of these in every university during the summer for students who want to go. That, and, that, that, yeah. I love that point too, for students who want to go. Like no one's forcing yeah, you to no. go to this. It's just like, especially because a university, like adults, aged students, say, hey, do you want to learn about Christianity? Well, Here's the opportunity. This one was actually held at uh, Worcester College, uh-huh. which is you know one of the many many colleges that make up Oxford University. Mm-hmm. And the staff said that they said that they loved it. They loved the students. They loved their interaction. That were everybody was polite. They enjoyed it, and they wanted them back again next year. You know, this is something that's been happening for a very very long time. Mm. However, you're not allowed to say what you believe anymore because there was two things that got people upset. Um, and, of course, the they have apologised for uh, causing significant distress, the significant distress caused by discussing Christianity. Okay. So one of the uh, lectures there was on the nature of Islam. I would think this would be a normal thing to have at this kind of a college. You talk about the other religions that there are in the world and compare yeah. your religion with those religions. Uh that would be entirely appropriate, and mm-hmm. it would be entirely appropriate if you were going to an Islamic one that they would talk about Christianity. And they do. Like, yeah, you can watch those debates. You can watch those debates online from the Islamic perspective of like, sure. oh, this is what Christianity is compared to us, and and vice versa. Like, okay. The, the other thing that uh, happened was that one of the lecturers was asked what would happen in in a question and answer time. What would happen if somebody uh, came to him and talked to him about unwanted sexual attraction? Okay. Yep. So. Uh, 
we all knew it was going to go here, of course. Yeah. And he replied that he would talk to them. Oh, he about would, that. He would talk to them about it? Yes. Uh, and that is classified as conversion therapy because conversion, because therapy is talking and so con- talking about oh, it is conversion oh. therapy. And so oh, because, conversion- you're prepared to, because you're prepared to have this conversation and you're prepared to say these words, then that's conversion therapy and that is causing distress and that is hate speech and that is causing people to that's be so damaged. Uh, and so it needs um, an official, you know, any kind of conversation of such is to be banned uh, you can't talk about anything. Talking about or having a discussion on a subject is 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 banned. You know, <laughs> I got to tell you, when you live in a society that self censors because they're afraid to talk about things, you know that you are on the edges of a totalitarian society. I'm just thinking, like, if that's the classification, like, okay, talking about that and it's conversion therapy is bad. It's like. Is, like, the Mardi Gras, like, conversion therapy in the opposite direction? Of course it is. Well, can I complain about that? No, you may not. <laughs> it's, it's not like, in this world. Oh. You know, what you've also got at Oxford College is not just that little cross that is on the street, but just down the, down and around the corner, uh, you know, maybe 500 metres away, there's actually a very large monument to wow. these three martyrs, and you've got their statues right there. Let's stop and think about why they died and why they gave their life. They died and they gave their life because they had a conversation. Wow. About things in the Bible mm. that were not popular. Uh-huh. They talked about the mass. Mm. And that was seen as being hate speech. Mm. They talked about the Bible and the Bible alone. That was seen as being hate speech. They talked about salvation by grace. Definitely hate speech. They died for that. Yeah, wow. And their statues are there to this day as a testament to the value of free speech. Wow. And just outside where those statues are and just outside where that cross is in the ground... Free speech is being banned. Wow. Under penalty of, I don't know. The thing whatever. that I don't understand. Not death yet, thankfully. The thing that I don't understand is that it's just like, do we not trust consent anymore? Because the situation that was brought up, this is this is the situation, is that the, the, the question being asked is if someone comes to you and asks you yes. about unwanted sensitivity. About their unwanted uh, So they're consenting to you talking to them about it. And, and you can classify it as conversion therapy, which has all the negative connotations. And I understand that a lot of abuse happens in that area and that it's terrible. And I, No, it doesn't happen. It did happen. It did happen. 40 years ago. But the, the point is, is like you can put like, but it's like ultimately this person is consenting. Yes. This is a consensual conversation. That's right. Just like if in, in the conversations that happen in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yet we're persecuting consent. Yeah, I have consenting conversations with people who have same-sex attraction on a semi-regular basis, and I ask them about their thoughts on what I present here on Faith FM. I run it past, you know, quite a few friends of mine that are in the LGBT plus community to get their perspective on the things I talk about here on Definitely. Faith FM. Yeah, you know, that's that's a conversation, and I consent for them for them to share all of the arguments in favour of their position. Yeah. But there's no way you can do that the other direction, else you are going to go to, uh, 
Yeah. You're going to go what, to court. What, you're going to be woke jail. You're going to be prosecuted as a criminal mm. and banned. It's like this is terrible. You know, and you see it. You see it even here in Australia when you know at our last election we had the the, the whole movement of the quiet Australians. The quiet Australians are people who have self censored. Mm. That's what they called quiet. Like yeah. They're yeah. self-censored. And when you live in a country where people are afraid to say what they believe, then you know the country is moving in the direction of totalitarianism. Oh, that's so... Oh, it's so bad, dude. Oh, while we're in England, we should also mention that uh, there was a young man who was just uh, murdered for handing out uh, church uh, literature um, in a shopping centre. There was a street preacher who was arrested um, he, this old guy was in his 60s doing street preaching. 14 police turned up to arrest him. <laughs> and this is actually after a series of arrests of street preachers in the UK. And, of course, they have the strongest laws there anywhere in the world to protect street preachers. And none of them have stuck, but they just persecute them with the system. Yeah, well. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, well, joining us on the phone this morning for our monthly uh, history piece is Eliza Southwell. Eliza, welcome to the show. Good morning, Miles. Fantastic to be here. I am super looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today because we're going to talk about somebody <laughs> who was, um, let me see, a famous sportsman, a famous politician, mm-hmm. a church mm-hmm. pastor uh, in a very, un- a very unique area of Australian history. Who is it we're talking about today? Today we're talking about Doug Nichols, or Sir Douglas Nichols, as perhaps we should say. Um, he, as as you said, is most commonly known for being a footballer, but also being an an activist for Indigenous rights um, in last century. And um, also, um, he was governor of South Australia for a short time. Um, what's less known about him is that he was um, a Church of Christ pastor uh, for most of his life. So he, he particularly, he's really, he's a fascinating figure because he um, he was born on a mission on on the Murray about half an hour east of Echuca and you can imagine the kind of childhood he had. He was born in 1906 and that was just at the time when the Aborigine Protections Board was ramping up that control of Indigenous people. And he was um, an Aboriginal person? Wales. That's right. Yes. That's right, he was. Um, and so his elder sister, Hilda, was removed in 1915 when he was nine years old. And, of course, when he turned 14, he was moved off um, by law, moved off the mission, moved out of home, and he had to find work. And he found work in, in a dredging team um, constructing levees on the Murray. So um, from a very early age, he was foisted out of his family um, through no fault of his own and had to make his own way. And, of course, he made his own way through football um, because he had family members who had um, been very successful in that. Um, And so he eventually um, was challenged to, you know, Melbourne football beckoned and he signed with the Northcote um, Victorian Football Association, um, nervous about his Aboriginality, obviously. Um, but these were also the days when there were no professional footballers. Um, you didn't earn a cent by playing football. And so 
he played football and um, worked for the local council at the same time. Um, so his is a really interesting story of of um, uncertainty of um, juggling different possibilities and chances early in life and um, going where he could make it work. He was obviously somebody who, you know, he comes from a family of, of people who were, I, I, I guess, you know, just looking at this family history, you know, you've got some natural-born leaders there and it seems that uh, some of that leadership DNA has passed down from He had a great uncle who, uh, you know, founded the Australian uh, Aborigines League you know, in, in in Melbourne in the 1930s, and so mm. there's obviously, um, you know, these are these are not these 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 this family seems to be a family of uh, go getters, and he seems to be a go getter. He's out mm. there, and he's he's, mm. he's becoming famous in football. Um, yeah, he's and, very proactive. Yeah, indeed. Um, and so that great uncle William Cooper, he really acted as a mentor um, for for Doug. Um, he was of the same people. He uh, was also Christian, um, and William Cooper really picked him up once um, after a, a period came in Doug's life where his mother died and he started to attend, again, the church where they had attended together before. Um, and so he'd already achieved you know, fame um, in football. He was the only Aborigine in the Victorian Football Association. Um, and he was you know, affectionately known as the Flying Abbo, which today we would cringe out a little bit, but people loved him. Um, and yet, when his mother died in 1932, he started going back to church and he had a conversion experience um, at the Church of Christ Chapel in Northcote. And he, like many new converts, um, he, as soon as he was baptized, he was zealous for the Lord. And he talked about God wherever he went, and he invited his um, you know, football associates um, over to church events and parades. Um, and through this time of of, um, of conversion in his life, um, his his relative William Cooper um, realized: look, this young man has leadership potential. He has integrity. Um, he has initiative. And so um, together they lobbied the Commonwealth Minister for the Interior over the need for federal control of Aboriginal affairs. One of the issues, or at least as it was seen at the time, one of the issues with Aboriginal affairs is that um, Indigenous people were legislatively controlled by state governments. And each state government had slightly different rules. And each um, of their rules was Certainly at the discretion of the protector of Aborigines, the, the man in charge of that department. Um, and so they were very active together um, in lobbying government in explaining exactly what was wrong with the system. And um, Doug wasn't just involved in the Australian Aborigines League, but he went on to um, be involved in other associations. So he lobbied the UN. Um, so he's one of the fascinating things about Doug Nichols is that while he was very involved in politics and while he was an activist, and that is how we would describe him today, um, he wasn't—he was very politically moderate. Um, he wasn't ideological at all. He was a very pragmatic um, kind of activist. He didn't 
demand the world. He didn't hold grudges, um, but his focus was on building bridges between whites and blacks. Um, he even, actually, he even cooperated with the Council of Aboriginal Rights, um, which sounds like an innocuous enough name, but its leaders were members of the Communist Party. Um, and so ASIO kept a file on him after 1957. So he, he went where he needed to go to build the bridges that needed to be made um, in order to bring people closer together. He, in fact, when, when certain organisations, when the um, Australian Aboriginal League, for example, started to take a cue from the Black Power Movement in the States, Doug distanced himself. He actually left um, because he, well, in his words, the concept of confrontational, often violent black power politics was, in his words, a bitter word. Um, and he didn't want to be involved in that kind of um, resentful or or violent um, activism that you know, breaks bridges. Um, yeah, so he was, he was an activist, but a very different kind than we're used to seeing today. Would, would would he have related then to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's activism, you know, of uh, non-violent activism, or yeah, or did yeah, he definitely. right? So there was aspects um, so, of what was happening in the states that were coming across to Australia that um, he mm-hmm. did approve, and that some some that he didn't, and separated himself from. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think we see his his passion for people in his um, his own ministry. So um, he he was very involved in. So he was ordained a Church of Christ pastor, and um, he began a welfare work and house church in Fitzroy. Um, so his he and his wife um, essentially <laughs> they they formed an Aboriginal girls hostel in 1956, um, and they acted as house parents for that hostel. Um, their house was constantly full of people staying over because they were in a rough patch and they needed somewhere to stay, or um, they had international visitors uh, from the States often um, staying in their home. And even though they had very patchy finance for their ministry, um, you know, they they had a, um, he had a small honorarium as a pastor, but he was also employed as team coach at the same time and curator at the Northgate Football Ground, and they relied on donations. Even though it wasn't at all clear where their finance was going to come from, they stepped out in faith and they provided practical help um, where it was needed um, instead of just pontificating about an ideal world. Um, Doug Nichols was a deeply loved pastor. Um, he wasn't just someone who got things done, but he was. You know, yeah. So, um, so let me let me just let me just let me just let me just try and wrap my head around this for a moment. So we're talking about somebody here who is 
um, involved in politics. He is lobbying the UN. He's lobbying the federal government. He's involved in state politics. Um, he's a football star. Um, mm-hmm. He is later, you know, we probably should talk about it in a moment, Governor of South Australia. Um, he mm-hmm. is knighted, so he is Sir Douglas. Um, mm. He's a full-time pastor at the same time as being a football coach, yeah. at the same time as being a curator, <laughs> at the same time as being a church planter. This is an energetic individual. This is a very, <laughs> very energetic person that we are talking about right here. You know, he and you kind of big. wonder how did he find time to pack all of this mm-hmm. into uh, into his life? Well, it would certainly have helped that his wife, Gladys, was a pillar of strength and had a great financial mind as well. Um, she, um, she was originally his brother's wife, but his brother died in a traffic accident and several months later, um, Doug married Gladys, took in his brother's five children and what started as a caring gesture developed into a, a loving partnership. Um, and so she, Gladys, taught Sunday school. She was involved in fundraising and welfare work. And I think without her support, um, Doug Nichols' life would have looked quite different and his ministry would have looked very different. Um, so I mean, that doesn't really answer your question, but I think that goes some of the way to, to explaining how he could do so many things at once and um, not only people's needs but be involved in, in football as well. So here's a question that you can't answer but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, you've got this, <laughs> and once again, you know, he's, 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 he's lobbying the United Nations, he's lobbying the federal government, he's a football star, he's a governor, he's uh, has, has received a knighthood, he's a, a pastor, he's a coach, he's a curator. You know, we go on and on and on down through the list of achievements that this particular person mm-hmm. um, has accomplished. Why is there no Wikipedia page about him? Oh, uh, I can't say I've looked for a Wikipedia page on him. <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, maybe you need to write one, Eliza, because this maybe guy needs. I do. Maybe, this guy needs some recognition. Oh, hang on! No, I'm just. I just looked it up. He does have a Wikipedia page. Well, I couldn't find it. I searched for it under a whole bunch of. I searched <laughs> under oh. Doug Nichols. I looked for it under Sir he's Douglas Nichols. <laughs> yes, he's under Douglas Nichols. Um, yeah. It is there. So yeah, if it. you I are interested in more information, um, then you can head over to Wikipedia and you can get a um, – I can't guarantee that all of it will be correct, but it should give you a general idea. Or if you want um, uh, something a little bit more accurate, you can go to the uh, National Museum of Australia website and uh, read his biography there. Mm. Yeah. On, so in, later in life, we um, – in – 1976, he was appointed governor of South Australia, um, as you mentioned before. Um, unfortunately, his health deteriorated within weeks of being appointed, and um, you can imagine how a prolific, um, independent-minded, active person felt about that. Um, he was no longer able to discharge many of his duties. Um, however, the next year, he did host Queen Elizabeth during her royal tour, um, and he was appointed KCVO. So he, and, and shortly after that, um, the same year, he had a stroke and left the position. Um, so I think that that's a picture, if you like, of just how far um, 
Indigenous rights had come, and not just Indigenous legal rights, but the way Australian people see Indigenous people. Indigenous people are the kinds of people that can become the governor of a state of Australia. They're the kinds of people that can host our Queen. And there's um, there's now no longer any separation between Indigenous people and any other kind of people in the minds of Australians. Um, and that's something that is uh, significantly due to Doug Nichols and his um, his sporting history, but also um, the the depth of character that was just so evident in everything that he did. Um, so that's a cause for uh, great joy. And I think that uh, I, I think that you know a lot of that is really reflective of his relationship with God, and the fact that mm. he was you know he dedicated his life to the service of God. That was obviously mm. the uh, the thing that was first and foremost in in his mind in his life Absolutely. as he as he, uh, as he did as, as he did all of these things. Um, mm. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us here on the breakfast show this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.